No, there's this, there's this negative impression, connotation that's associated with wealth. And, um, and because of that, we think uh, automatically when we see someone wealthy who is well off, we say, oh, that person cannot be godly, right? Wealthy and godly, those two just don't mesh well with one another. And, um, and it's passages like these are difficult to swallow um, because it really talks about money. I mean, I can try to make this sound like it's something else. It's a different matter. Uh, I could try to kind of, we could have skipped this passage, but because the word of God is very clear on its stance on money, I think we should address it. Um, but at the same way, I want to address it in a very careful manner because if we don't understand this correctly, uh, we can misuse this passage in many different ways. Um, so when the Bible talks about wealth, one of the biggest misconceptions that we have is that uh, if we have a lot, of, a lot of money as Christians, then it's a problem. Well, according to Scripture, the problem is not really the amount of money that you have. Rather, it is the attitude of money, um, attitude that you have towards money. No, it's, it's more so about your perspective on money that Scripture has a problem with. If you think about it, there's so many people in the Bible that are pretty rich, right? Abraham, very rich guy. God blessed him with all this wealth, right, in various ways. King David, no, he, he was a king of, of this powerful country. You know, he had his own palace, all these different things. This, this man after God's own heart, he was pretty wealthy, right? Well, Job, no, the Bible says in Job 1 that he possessed 700 sheep, uh, 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yokes of oxen, 500 female donkeys, and various servants to the point where the Bible says this man was the greatest of all people of the East. This guy was pretty rich. Now, although he had some hiccups along the way, right, um, those things were taken away. Towards the end of the book of Job, what it says is God gave Job twice as much as he had before. So we see that there's a lot of people who are blessed with money at the same time were very godly. And you might think this is an Old Testament theme, but in the New Testament, we see that Joseph of Aramaeus, who, who was a secret follower of Jesus, he's the one who took the body of Jesus when Jesus died on the cross, and he, he moved that body into this, uh, this rock tomb, which only wealthy people could afford back in the day. The fact that he had this rock tomb empty for Jesus' body tells us that he was pretty wealthy. No, Barnabas, one of the leaders of the early church, right, this generous guy, he sold his land to, to, to make contributions to the early church. So you, you can see that he was godly, but at the same time, he was pretty wealthy. Lydia, a wealthy businesswoman uh, in Philippi, you know, she helped Paul's ministry uh, constantly, right? She had a lot of stuff, and with her resources, she could provide a place for the early uh, church in Philippi, and she supported the, the work of the ministry throughout uh, her life. Now, it is possible to be wealthy and godly. The issue is never about the amount of money that you have. The issue is your attitude towards money. Now, God is not concerned about your prosperity, but he is concerned about your perspective on money. Because when money becomes your master, when you exchange God for gold, that's when it becomes a problem. You know, and that's why it says in verse 1, Come now, come listen carefully. You rich, weep and howl for the miseries that are coming upon you. 
So when money becomes our master, when we exchange God for gold, eventually we will weep. So here's the main idea of today. There's a very clear warning. The wicked wealthy will eventually weep. The wicked wealthy will eventually weep. Now, when James uses the word rich in his letter, he's not just addressing people with large amounts of money. Rather, he's talking about people who are in love with money. A lot of times, he's actually talking about non-believers who are very wealthy. No, he's talking about people who are misusing the wealth that they have in order to, in order to satisfy, their, satisfy their own desires. When he says in chapter 2, he talks about the sin of partiality, he tells the church, hey, guys, you shouldn't, you, you shouldn't show partiality towards um, people. You shouldn't show favoritism, especially towards people who seem rich. You know, that's what you're doing. Right? You're giving the best seats to people who have all these bling-bling, uh, and, and you're neglecting the poor. And what he says is pretty interesting. In chapter 2, verse 6, he says, You have dishonored the poor man. Are not the rich the ones who oppress you and the ones who drag you into the courts? So what James is saying is the very people who oppress you, who persecute you, remember this is a time uh, in which the Christians were persecuted. They're, they're dis- dispersed all over, the, uh, all over the area because people are against Christianity. Therefore, they don't have a lot of possessions. They're pretty poor. And because of that, a lot of people abuse the Christians. And what uh, James is saying here is, hey, if you show the sin of partiality, if you show favoritism towards certain people, you're just being like the people who are oppressing you. No, the non-believers that that are wicked towards you, you're just being like them. No, James does not use the word brothers, which he uses so often in this letter. Why? Because I do think he's addressing not the believers who are wealthy, but rather the non-believers who are wealthy, who are wicked. No, but at the same time, I think there's some important lessons that we can learn about wealth and money in this passage because the warning is pretty simple. The wicked, wealthy will eventually weep. So the rich here, they're wicked and misery is coming. No, it doesn't say that they're just going to shed some tears. It says they're going to weep and they're going to howl, they're going to wail. No, they're going to be in this pain and agony this futuristic event is going to take place because of their wealth. And I think before I lose you, um, I, I want to address a couple of things. Now, maybe some of you at this point are saying, okay, I'm going to check out because I have absolutely no money whatsoever. <laughs> right? This is not relevant to me. No, uh, Pastor, you should see my bank account. No, I, you should see all the student loans I, I pull out, and I'm still trying to pay off my debt, right? I can't even buy, like, you know, these things it, uh, that I, I really need in my life. And you're like, okay, this is not relevant to me. Well, okay, I, I feel you. Um, but let's try to put this in a very objective uh, uh, way. Um, you live in America, one of the wealthiest countries, actually the wealthiest country in the world. Uh, did you know that five of the top 10 richest counties in the U.S. are in Virginia, including Falls Church? Number two, uh, according to a study in 2013, if you are the poorest 10% uh, in America, you are actually the wealthiest 10% in the world. You know, if you just make minimum wage and work full time, you're better off than 85% of people in this world. And we don't even have to talk about numbers when we are addressing this because when you think about it, uh, our problem with food is that, that we have too much. Our problem with food is that we have too many choices. 
It's never about, okay, what can we eat? It's, it's, it's what should we eat? Oh, man, I ate that yesterday. I don't want to eat the same thing two meals in a row, right? That's, that's our problem. No, we worry about losing weight when it comes to diet. When people out of, this, out of the U.S. talk about diet, they're talking about nutrition, how to survive. No, I think a lot of times, because we live in such a wealthy environment, we lose perspective. Now, it is true that um, U.S. is number four in, this, this, uh, in, in the difference between the wealthy and, the pro- and, 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 and poverty, so we do have issues in, in that sense. But we can't neglect the fact that we're pretty well off. I mean, we might not get everything that we want, but a lot of times we have what's necessary to survive, that we have clean water, that we can eat three meals a day. No, we, we, we can snack, you know, from time to time. In fact, every Sunday, if you just come to church, you get something to eat, right? That's pretty crazy. So um, you're richer than you think. That's what I'm trying to say. Even if you're a poor college student, you're richer than you think. No, our problem with money is actually deeper than we think as well. When um, James, he's addressing the, the wicked wealth that are far from God, it's easy for us to say, okay, maybe I'm not that wicked. And with money, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty good, right? Um, while wealth can be a blessing to us, and it is a blessing, a clear blessing from God, at the same time, we have to understand that a lot of times it could be a distraction, especially in our walk with God. You know, uh, when we are surrounded by this culture that values money, that values material things, when we are surrounded by this culture that treasures uh, wealth more than anything, you know, when we are surrounded by this culture where money seems to talk, we have to have a clear perspective on money. If not, we're just going to be just uh, sucked into that, that, into that culture. So the wicked wealthy will eventually weep, but at the same time, there's a lot of danger for us when it comes to money. And the text tells us there's two reasons why these people are going to weep and wail. The first reason is this. The wicked wealthy will eventually weep because their wealth is disappearing. It's evaporating. It's going away. Look at verse 2. It says, Your riches are rotted and your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver has corroded. So um, all the stuff that we accumulate in this world, uh, no matter how expensive it is, no matter how precious it is, no matter how much you paid for that item, uh, over time it will decay. Over time it, it will disappear. If You just give it some time. Right? Uh, last week, our family moved to a new place, and we were just packing some stuff. We looked in their closet. We thought we didn't have much. Uh, when we came to Virginia, you know, we, we came uh, with a couple suitcases. Uh, but now, all of a sudden, I don't know where we got all this stuff, right? Uh, all these clothes that I'd never seen before. Uh, and, and, I, and as I'm going through my stuff, right, uh, I remember when I first bought these items, it was like, uh, I was really proud about myself. You know, it was shiny, it was nice, it was very soft, all these different things. But now that I look back at my closet, I mean, they're stinky, uh, they're not in good shape, color is not as bright, um, fabric is not as soft, metal parts, they're not as shiny. You know, over time, things do decay. They change over time. 
And James is basically saying, you think that the wealth that you store up is going to last forever, but in reality, it is disappearing in this very moment. Even gold, silver, which scientifically should not uh, decay uh, easily, scientifically, it, it should not um, be corroded. What, what James is saying, even the things that you think are not going to decay, they will decay, and they will disappear, and they're going to go bad. So the wicked... The wicked wealthy will eventually weep because the wealth that they have will eventually disappear. But here's the second reason. These people are going to weep because judgment is coming. So their wealth is disappearing and their judgment is coming. Look at verse 3. It says, your gold and silver has corroded, but their um, corrosion will be evidence against you and will eat your flesh like fire. You have laid up treasure in the last Days. So now James begins to use some legal terms here. He's saying that um, the things that you have accumulated on this earth, they're going to be used as evidence to prove that you are actually wrong. And when you stand before the judgment seat of God, God is going to bring out all these different evidence. He doesn't have to look far. He just has to look at your bank account, your spendings, you know, everything that you had uh, in this life, and he just says, hey, here's the proof that you are actually wicked. Now, um, again, God is not saying any type of wealth is bad. What he's saying is if that wealth was accumulated in a selfish way, where, where you didn't do anything for the poor, you didn't do anything for God's kingdom, yet you just stored everything up in a greedy manner, then those evidences are going to be used against you because those wealth reveal something about your heart. And the punishment that God is talking about is pretty severe because he says the wealth will eat your flesh like fire. Now, I had a chance to, to hear a testimony of someone who, who went through third degree, uh, third, third degree um, burning where uh, they were in a car accident, um, car caught on fire, 55% of their body was, was burnt, right? And it's one of the most painful things that you can experience. You know, that's why you know, back in the days, you know, Burning someone was such a big deal. It was a, it was a, it was a, it was a painful thing. And what God is saying is the punishment that you're going to receive, the judgment that you're going to receive because you were wicked with your wealth is not just light, but it's going to be like eating up your flesh with fire. The word weep or howl, those two words are commonly used in the, uh, in the prophetic writings of the Old Testament in the context of judgment. You know, money comes with a high price. And here's why. In Matthew 19, you know, really, James in this letter, he's, he's echoing Jesus' teaching in Matthew 19. And this is what Jesus himself says about money. He says this in verse 19. Do not lay up for yourself treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. So it sounds familiar, right? But lay up yourselves treasure in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So here we get the root of the problem. Money itself is not sinful, but it can lead you to sin. You know, money is not just a physical matter, but it's actually a spiritual matter. Because money, more than anything, reveals who your master is, right? It it reveals something about your heart, you know, the Bible says you cannot serve money and God at the same time. The wicked wealth will weep because their wealth is disappearing and judgment is coming. And James gives two reasons why they are being condemned. The first reason is this. 
It's because these wicked people, they accumulated money without integrity. They lacked integrity when it comes to money. In verse 4, it says this, Behold, the wages of the laborers who moved, uh, mowed your field, which you kept back by fraud, by crying out against you, and the cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. What, so this is what James is saying. Back in the day, right, a lot of people, they lived by, day by day. So they would get work. They would work for different, uh, at a different farm, and they, they would get paid at the end. In Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy 24, it says this is a lawful thing to do because if you don't pay a worker, that person does not have stuff to eat for, for the night. And that family has to starve. Therefore, it is a rightful thing to pay the people that work for you. The reason why these wealthy people did not pay the workers, it's not because they did a bad job. It's not because they didn't want to help out the poor. It's because they're greedy and they, they were unjust. It's because they lacked integrity. They were so blinded and fixated on accumulating wealth, they were able to do it in the expense of hurting others. They didn't care about others. All they cared about what they can put into their pockets. So at, towards the end of the day, they would say, oh, oh, you know, I know you work for me today, but just wait, I'll pay you later. And they, they would never pay. And what God is saying is that when it comes to money, we have to have integrity. You know, it, prosperity is not the only thing in life. Yeah, we want prosperity. But while accumulating prosperity, we have to remember to remain uh, true to our integrity. You know, so one quick application can be pay what you right, rightfully owe. Don't cheat on people. You know, if you receive service at a restaurant and, you know, you didn't find any hair or you didn't find any, 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 any bad things in the food and service was decent, not okay maybe, but decent enough, Tip them generously, right? Um, if, if you are trying to buy something, you know, pay the right price. Don't just try to bargain for something and, 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 and try to get someone else's money. No, if someone's fixing your house, pay the right amount that you have to pay, that they can repair your house in a good way. I think there's one sensitive area, especially in, in, in this 21st century, um, stuff online, Right? We can get stuff online easily, right? With a couple clicks, right? You type in a couple words. You know, we can get the latest movies. We can get the latest shows. There are all these loopholes. Um, and while I do believe some companies charge way too much for their services, and, and I, I, that's a topic for another day, right? That's injustice right there. We do have to pay for their service, the services that we receive, right? Maybe downloading music. I mean, um, I, I think it's okay if you stick within the system, right? If you're playing YouTube uh, like all day and you're using your data, I think still you're staying within the system. You're not cheating the system, right? You're staying within the system. Those things, I'm not, those things are fine. But there are times when we know how to cheat the system. And I think the reason why we easily do those things is because we think no one's going to know or we're never going to get caught. Well, what the Word of God is telling us today is no matter whether you caught, get caught or not, if you are hurting someone because of your choice, because you simply don't want to give what the other person deserves, um, that's sin. Rightfully give what you rightfully owe. And the second reason why these wealthy people are condemned is this. It's because of self-indulgence. They lived a life of self-indulgence. In verse 5 it says this, You have lived on earth in luxury and in self-indulgence. You have fattened your hearts in a day of slaughter, 
Verse 6, you have condemned and murdered the righteous person, the people of God, who does not, and he does not resist you. So self-indulgence, what that means is you, you get what you want, right? The way that you spend money is that you buy what you want, you buy what's pleasing to your eyes. Um, everything about your spending is, it evolves around you. That's self-indulgence, right? And we live in a pretty, pretty difficult times when the message out there is all about self-indulgence. Right? I'm not going to name companies, but um, just do it, right? Because you are worth it. Uh, I'm loving it. Have it your way. It's everywhere you want to be, right? This, 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 these, all these different messages, these, these slogans from these major companies, they simply have one message. What they're saying is, you know, spend money the way that you want to spend it. You know, don't, 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 don't try to overanalyze, you know, your, your desires or passions or your values. Simply go after the things that will make you happy, right, every single day. We are challenged with materialism now because of social media, right? Back in the day, uh, because we didn't have a lot of awareness, you know, it didn't matter whether we had, you know, iPhone 6, iPhone 7. It didn't matter if we had a flip phone. No one really cared. But now you get to compare yourself with everyone every single day, right? All you have to do is just click a couple buttons, and now you're comparing yourself in various ways. You know, what does this person eat today? Oh, that person ate at a very nice restaurant. And then you say, oh, I got to eat something better, and then post it, right? You know, what did this person do on the weekend? Oh, they went to this place. Oh, now I got to do something better, because anything below that, you know, and it won't make an impact on other people. You know, for some reason, we think that, that things that happen in our life are not real until we post them, until we blog about them, until we comment about them. And you have to recognize that all, that time, all the time that you're spending on social media you know, intentionally or unintentionally, you are comparing yourself with the world. I mean, you might say, no, no, I'm, I'm content with the stuff I have. Then stop scrolling and, 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 and focus on the people around you. Focus on the life that's happening right now. You know, the illustration that, that James gives, you know, it's pretty frightening. You have fattened your hearts in the day of slaughter. I don't know if you know how pigs or cows are slaughtered, Right before they get slaughtered, you know what they do? You, they f- you just feed the pigs. You just feed the cows. You, you give them the best food that you, they can possibly, you know, take in. And, you know, you just feed them until they're, they're, like, about to throw up, right? And then you take them, and then you slaughter them. Because you want to make them f- as fat as possible to get the most meat out of, uh, uh, of the animal. In the same way, some of us are enjoying the food right now that we have. Some of our, us are enjoying the wealth that we have, and we don't recognize that, that all those things are making us really fat and that we are preparing ourselves for the day of slaughter. That's exactly what God is saying. You might think this is a good thing right now, but in the scheme of eternity, man, this is a terrible thing that's happening right now. Money can be a blessing, but it can be a very clear distraction when it comes to your relationship with God. God is not concerned about the amount of money that you have, but he is concerned about the attitude of money, uh, attitude towards money, um, your attitude towards money. The people, uh, they thought they were piling up wealth on this world, but in reality, what they were piling up was God's judgment, and a day will come where God will, God will judge the living and the dead, 
and each person not only will have to give an account for our lives, we will have to give an account for everything that we ever possessed because, according to the Bible, the things that we have possessed, it was never ours, but actually it was given by God. So how can we apply this, this text? I think there's a couple ways that we can go with our application. The first thing is this. Um, understand that this, although uh, James is writing to the wicked rich, he's still writing to the Christians there. Now, why would he say these things all of a sudden? Why can't he just address the Christians directly? I think he's saying these things, and he's using this strong language that we haven't seen before in this letter to simply make this point. Don't envy the wealth around you. No, don't get bogged down by the rich people around you. You know, a lot of times... Um, we think we deserve a lot better. A lot of times we think, hey, if I just get a raise in my, in my paycheck, if I just get more stuff for myself, then all my problems are, are going to be solved. And in reality, you just get more problems. Right? I was sharing this the other day with our, our Bible study teachers, but when we were young, we didn't have much. Right? And because we didn't have much, we didn't have a lot to worry about. But the more and more like, you gain Right? through wealth. You have to wonder, okay, what do I do? Do I have to invest this money? Do I have to save it? How do I spend it? Your life gets really complicated. You know, money could be a blessing, but it could be a curse as well. You know, so one thing that we can do is instead of envying other people for their money, we can protect our hearts and find contentment in God. The other thing that we can do when we are really struggling with money, because I believe that this is a real issue when it comes to our faith, is this. In verse 4, it says that the people who were mistreated by other people, they were able to call upon the Lord of Sabaoth, the Lord of hosts, the Lord of armies. So understand, when you are struggling with finances, that you have a God who you can call upon, that you have the Lord of the armies, the Lord who, who controls all the angel, angelic beings, that he can do something about your situation. So cry out to him. Instead of fighting with the people, unjust people, you, know, you remain faithful and you cry out to the Lord and see what the Lord can do for you. The second thing is this. I think this teaches us that we shouldn't take shortcuts when it comes to money. Right? The reason why these people were just in, consuming all these different things and living a luxurious life is not because they wanted to live that lifestyle in the beginning, but it's because of the choices that they made along the way. No, it's because uh, they treasured more of themselves than God that they made those decisions um, along the way. Um, later on, their master just became money. Um, and because of that, they, they were probably able to get away with a couple things. You know, they didn't get caught misusing money. They didn't get caught or condemned uh, by mistreating other people with money. Therefore, just, they just roll with it. But what the Bible tells us is that, yeah, you can fool people, but you can never fool God. God knows every mistreatment that you, you, you do towards others. He knows how you abuse other people. So instead of walking um, in wickedness, walk in integrity. Third thing is this. Um, don't just use money in things that you need or things that you want, but ask God. Use it intentionally uh, for God's kingdom and his purposes. You know, I, I know a lot of us, you know, at this point, we're probably thinking, now, does this mean, uh, really, I, I have to empty my savings? Is it a bad idea for me to have investments? Uh, I don't think that's really the case. When I first came into ministry, um, 
when I was ordained as a pastor, the very first piece of advice that I received uh, from one of my mentors was this, prepare your retirement. And I'm like, I have 30 years left. <laughs> and, 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 and this pastor said, no, 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 you have to understand, prepare your retirement. And I was thinking, you know, how, this, this pastor, uh, you know, I thought he was giving me, giving me some godly advice, right? Pray a lot, read the Bible, be a, you know, all these different things. But what he's talking about, money, you know, right now, not money, about, not money right now, but things that will happen 30 years later. And then he begins to explain what, what he means by that. He says, no, I'm not saying that you should have a retirement plan so that you can have comfort later on in life, but you should have a retirement plan so that when you do retire from your job as a pastor, that you still have the resources to do the work of the kingdom of God. And that's very different. Actually, it's not so that you can just be free to do whatever you want to do. The reason why you should have a retirement plan is so that you can be free to do the work of the gospel. Same goal, two different reasons. And this can be applied to anything. Maybe your financial goal is to get out of debt. But why? Maybe your financial goal is to accumulate, I don't know, half a million dollars, one million dollars. Maybe you're, you want to buy your dream car. If that's all you're thinking about, no matter how much money that you have, you, the money is not going to solve your problem. It's your perspective that needs to change. You can have a million dollars. The question is, what are you going to do with those million dollars? You know, a lot of us, after hearing a sermon like this, you know, we, we're going to say, hey, can we buy this? Can you buy that? We're going to joke around with the other people. Oh, you shouldn't buy that expensive coffee. No, you shouldn't buy that expensive meal. Um, and, and a lot of us are going to feel guilty at the same time. But the real question that we have to ask is not, okay, can we buy this? Can we buy that? The real question that we have to ask is, hey, is God going to be pleased and honored in this spending? No, am I really longing for Jesus? Am I really longing for God's kingdom? No, and everything that, I, everything that I do, is it really for him or is it for myself? No, there's a clear difference between guilt and conviction. Guilt just makes you feel bad. It makes you feel like a, you're a bad person, a horrible person, right? You feel dirty. It's like, oh, man, I just feel sad for myself. Conviction, on the other hand, um, it identifies a problem, but at the same time, you don't just remain you being a bad person, but it points you to be a better person, a better person in Christ. Now, you can hear this sermon today, and you can walk away, and you can say, I just feel bad about my financial situation, or maybe you can see different areas in ways that these principles can be applied, and you can be convicted by the Word of God so that the way that you spend money, the way that you view money, the way that you accumulate money, or just you know, uh, let money flow, that it will be honoring to God. That's the whole goal. That's the whole purpose. And why should we do this? Because in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9, it says this, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though, we, and though he was rich, Yet for your sake he became poor so that you by his poverty might become rich. The reason why we don't have to be stingy with our money, the reason why we don't have to just be selfish with our money is because we have a Savior who was not selfish but selfless. We have a Savior who gave himself to us that he was rich but scripture says he became poor so that you in poverty, spiritual poverty, might have the riches of the kingdom. And if you are a beneficiary of God's grace and his mercy in such a way, then why not do the same for others? It's not about, okay, 
how much do I spend for God's kingdom? No, every spending that you have should be for God's kingdom. You know, this changes the way that we view money. So today, as you go home, look into your bank account, look into your spendings, see how you use money in the past couple years, or look at your view on money. Maybe some of you have such low view on money that you say, oh, I don't care about money. Maybe you should start caring about money because God gave given you those resources to bless other people. Change your perspective on money for the sake of the gospel because money is not just a physical matter. It's a spiritual matter. Instead of replacing God for gold, treasure God. Don't make money your master. Hold on to him and believe in him. Let's pray.